Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. We are back. We are back to the rest of the sermon. We got a little something going on in our headphones this morning and we can't figure it out. We're just going to power on through. Yeah, we are. What are you doing? You're looking for book resources? Yep. I'm going to post a few book resources in the show notes per our topic today. Awesome. Well, I will go over, I want to go over a few exciting things that have led us up to today while you're looking for some book resources. Last week was awesome. Yeah, it was. Last week was super great. Another week of Westside Women and Westside Men talking about boldness, being emboldened by the Holy Spirit. We rolled into our weekend with some really exciting stuff. We got to do some leadership training with some of our leaders at the church, and then we just had a celebration night uh, on on Friday night. That was it. We did, we did a the bar- first ever Westies. The Westies. It was super fun. Everybody got some pretty neat awards, and we had a time to celebrate each other and just have a good time with our leaders. And get and fancy, was, dressed up. We did dress up. I have not worn a suit jacket in a hot minute, and my wife went and got her hair and makeup done. Loved it. Which happens like once a year, maybe it's great, man. Once every other year, she walked in the house and I almost was like, who is this woman? <laughs> in a good it. way. She looked great. It was really great. So we did some leadership training and then Sunday morning, hey, yo, we did baptisms. Yeah, we did. We baptized, what, 10 people on we, Sunday? We baptized 10 people so on cool, Sunday, man. man. I got choked up. I saw those boys get baptized. Two brothers in the same water on the same day. Yep. It was, uh, I mean, it was a whole sloth from uh, fruits from the kids' side ministry, yeah. from the west side women's ministry, yeah. from the west side men's ministry. So great. Um, Yeah, man, just unbelievable. So awesome. We spent some time in prayer and reflection on Sunday. I thought that was a wonderful time. And then Sunday afternoon, we did it. Yes, it did not we did. rain. We did Fall Fest. Yeah, we did. It, By far the largest turnout that we have ever oh, had yeah, in Fall Fest. Absolutely. Chili no one cook-offs. got hurt this year, thank God. There was uh, cor- my kids got hurt twice. Oh, that's right. I, I watched <laughs> Roman get smoked by, yeah, he by a beanbag. Yeah, he, he was okay, though. But, we, you know, it's it's humbling. <laughs> he needs to get humbled every once in a while. <laughs> so we and did. then Andy Grace got stung by a bee, <laughs> and <laughs> she came running to me as if yeah. her life was in danger. Yeah, but I, it was all good. Good. Well, you hopped a fence or something, and I, uh, I yeah, got a I did. Cool picture of you. I'll throw that on social media per your consent. That was funny. And then uh, we had a pie auction. We raised a, a fat stack of cash for Jesus. We um, did, man. Selling some baked goods. Uh, Kayla and I went in with some friends and went halvesies and won a pie. Love so it. That was Love super it. great. Most expensive pie you'll ever eat. <laughs> I told I called my brother and I was like, "Hey, guess what I did?" And we told him. He was like, "You did what? How much for a pie?" <laughs> it was uh, awesome, it was super great. But that rolls us into this week, and we are gonna re- recap a little bit in the rest of the sermon today what we talked about on Sunday, and half of what we just recapped and covered about this weekend was yesterday. So yep. we're gonna cover um, Acts chapter four, verses twenty-three through thirty-seven. And then we're going to talk about where that has kind of led us so far. Yeah, man. So I'm going to read verses 23 through 37. And in Acts chapter 4, you can follow along. I'm reading in the ESV. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, 
whom you anointed, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Mm. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm going to stop there. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. So we are in week, this was week seven of Rooted and Renegade series in the book of Acts. Yeah. And it's part two of our journey through chapter four, looking at boldness in believers which is super awesome. So we recapped a little bit last week. We've seen the church being born in Acts chapter 2 by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is performing miracles. We had that first recorded miracle in Acts chapter 3. And then Peter and John get put in prison and threatened, not for healing a lame man, but for preaching the name of Jesus and for healing him in the name of Jesus. Yeah, that first miracle is so important that we've been in it for, I mean, literally three to four weeks. Yeah. It, that, that one miracle that's recorded is the first miracle done by the apostles, but it's such a big deal that yeah. chapters three, the entirety of chapters three and four deal with the miracle, the message, and then the consequences of that. So yeah. it's a big, big deal. Yeah. So Peter and John are in, th- in prison and they're threatened for preaching Jesus. Three hots in a cot. Yep. And then, they, and then they pray to the Holy Spirit to provide boldness to proclaim the gospel in the face of persecution in the midst of it. They continue yeah. to speak. And so this is our second week in this idea and this journey of boldness. We defined boldness on Sunday. Yeah, we did. What is boldness and what is it not? And how can we be aware of of both of those? Yeah, I just thought it was helpful, you know, to begin, you know, I'm a big fan of defining terms. And so we, we started with what type of boldness did they have? And I wanted to be very clear. Number one, it wasn't a careless boldness. Yeah. So it wasn't like hey, we know that preaching Jesus is illegal. Look, there's a group of cops over there. I'm going to go say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus seven times and see right. if they're like, it wasn't a reckless or careless boldness. The second thing is this, is that it wasn't a brutal boldness. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I think a lot of times Christians are keyboard warriors or somebody's like, you know, my, sorry about that. You know, my, bro- <laughs> my brother came over to the house last night with his girlfriend, and I just let him have it, told him he's living in sin. And, well, <laughs> you know, that wasn't really bold, man. That was kind of ignorant in all reality. And yeah. the last thing is, is that it wasn't an arrogant boldness. It wasn't like nothing can harm us. Look, we can hold snakes and they won't bite us. Or <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. That's and a bad so, idea. And so we define boldness as this. Boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on a deep conviction in the face of danger. Mm. Boldness is acting. You've, You've got to do something. That's why the phrase is always, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter spoke or John spoke or, you know, and even in their prayer, we see in the passage, Lord, let us continue to speak. It's an action, but... It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I think that's very, very important. Yeah. We see that boldness is given by the power of the Spirit. Yeah. It is a supernatural thing to abandon your life and the consequences of obedience yeah. for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. And it's doing it out of a deep conviction. The apostles say, we cannot help 
and speak of what we have seen and heard. We have experienced something. Yeah. And it is so deep in us that we have to do this, but it's in the face of danger. Yeah. It's boldness is not the absence of those things. Yeah. God is giving you those in the midst and the presence of those things. Yeah. So that's what boldness is. Yeah. And I like this idea. The word fear kept coming to mind for me yesterday yeah. and today with this idea of boldness. Like there's a lot to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went before the count. I mean, these guys have the authority in their culture and Jewish culture without, you know, operating under the old covenant to execute these men for yeah. what they were communicating as they thought was blasphemy. One of the legal grounds was it's why it's the verse that we all love um, that they were uneducated common men. Yeah. That's actually a slam. Right. Luke is letting us know something legal that they were not rabbis, they hadn't yeah. gone to rabbinic school. They don't have degrees. They don't have an ordination. And so literally the legal grounds that the Sanhedrin has is to say, show me your papers. Yeah. How can you guys be doing this? And they still do it, man. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, if boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on a deep conviction in the face of danger, how do we obtain that? And yeah. that's really where we get into the grunt or into the, the content of today's, of Sunday's sermon. And that's through the idea of prayer. How do we get it? We get it through prayer. Use this fantastic illustration. I've heard it once before by you, but it was super impactful on Sunday. A group of cronies go to Charles Spurgeon's <laughs> church. Um, they go to the London Tabernacle, and they ask to. They're trying to find the tour and look around. And then Spurgeon actually walks up and is like, "Would you guys like a? Would you like a tour of the yeah. place?" They look around, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to see the boiler room?" And he essentially takes them to an area that's under the pulpit that people are praying. Day yeah. and night, nonstop for. And he said, this is the source of the power for this church. Yep. And then you had a quote after that, the condition from Spurgeon. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace-o-meter and the gra- or a grace-ometer. I love it. And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Yeah, the reason why Spurgeon is just a personal hero is is also, I mean, there's a book called um, The Prayers of Spurgeon that he would pray for his church. But, I mean, the emphasis of prayer in that man's ministry, and when you look at yeah. the depth and breadth, I mean, I don't know of anybody who would have a ministry like that. That's why he's still living and speaking to this day. Yeah. Um, and and he was very quick to say yeah. that that we have to pray. We we we've got to get after this in prayer because we need this supernatural power. Yeah, that's so great. And to know that it doesn't come from within ourselves. Yep. I mean, it comes from a participation of us joining in kingdom work, but it's through prayer and a reliance and a dependence upon someone to answer that prayer. Absolutely. And that is God. So the big idea for this week you broke down for us is the power for boldness is given through prayer. But just before we get there, before we get to this content of prayer, can you talk about how big of a deal Luke makes this out in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts? You yeah. talked about that. I'd love for you to talk about that again. Yeah, so doing just a little bit of a word study and just basic sermon prep, I just looked up the word pray, prayer, praying, prayed in the New Testament. And it's very interesting that the the New Testament book that mentions prayer the most by far is the book of Acts. It's yeah. mentioned 31 times. That's a lot of times. Here's another thing that's interesting. 
the New Testament book that mentions Jesus the most is not the Gospels. It is also the book of Acts. And so when you blend that together to an application, you would summarize and say, well, obviously, if this book of the Bible is about the church and Jesus is mentioned the most, then the point of the church is to point to Jesus, but also that prayer is a mark and a foundation of a New Testament church. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you took us through the big idea this week of the power for boldness is given through prayer. The power of boldness is given through prayer. So we looked at five, what was it, five ways? Yep. Yeah, five ways that we could look and see how the how how the disciples prayed and what was the result of those prayers. The yeah. first thing was this, and we're gonna we're gonna cut through a little quickly today, guys. Um, so bear with us here as we as we fly through. The first point was this: pray immediately. Yep. Immediately. In verse 23, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. It's the first thing that they go and do, and then they join together in prayer. Like I, I love the phrase, when they were released, they went to their friends. Yeah. I just, I don't know, it's just a very poetic way yeah. to see that. But it was like, man, our first stop, we, we've just got through by the skin of our teeth. Yeah. We could have lost our life. We have got to get back to those core disciples. Yeah. We've got to get back there. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you use this, that prayer is not a last resort. It's really our first response. Absolutely. Is what it should be. Can we talk about prayer as a last resort? Because what we believe determines how we behave. Yeah. And sometimes psychology would argue how we behave over a period of time will affect what we believe, sure. what we think, and vice versa. And so if we operate in prayer as a last resort, how does that maybe shape the way that we live our lives or maybe reveal what we believe about the gospel? Yeah, so I think oftentimes Christians sort of have a false pattern and the pattern is, hey, we need to be doing something. Yeah. Let's plan something. Let's do something. Let's feed the hungry. Let's clothe the needy. Um, let's give shelter to the homeless. Or let's just let's be active. We know we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's plan this and let's yeah. do this. And then right before we execute it, we like sprinkle this prayer blessing on top of it, right. like sprinkles on top of a Sunday or something. Yeah. And the reality is, is what that shows is in the beginning, we've been operating in our own strength. Yeah. And so the very first thing in the application we can draw from these verses is we pray first. Yeah. So if there is a burden and if there is a need and if there is an opportunity, we go to the Lord first yeah. and we say, is this your will? Make a way, give us confirmation. Is this the direction that we're supposed to be going in? Yeah. And then we participate. But the reality is, and man, this is just struck so true in my life, is that any any season of my life that prayerlessness is evident it also means that selfishness and pride are very evident as well. Yeah. Because if I'm not praying, and praying is a sign of dependency on the Lord, a need for God to do something, yeah. if I'm not doing that, then I think that I am capable to do that. Yeah. So rather than planning our family calendar and then doing all of this stuff and then just doing the sprinkle prayer, yeah. why don't we gather our families first yeah. and pray and ask God? And, and just kind of came to me in the middle of the sermon, we've had this application in the past, but... Um, I think one of the most powerful things anybody can do is just to get a blank sheet of paper and then sign the bottom and their prayer be God fill in the blanks. Yeah. I'm all in. I'm committed on my end. 
but God, I'm coming to you to see what the details of this life are supposed to be. Yeah. I think that um, definitely shapes how we pray. Yeah, and I think that's great. I, I, I love the idea of dependency upon God. Like yeah. When you pray as a last resort, just as you said, we've, we've trained ourselves essentially through life to operate out of our own ability or our own abundance, which isn't very much. Um, but in the inverse of that, is there a way that we can train ourselves to maybe move forward with a heart or an attitude to have an immediate response in prayer yeah. in life? I mean, I, I know the application of maybe sitting down with your family and doing the doing the uh, God fill in the blanks exercise, but is there a way like, and I know that we talk about the concept of awareness a lot on this sure. podcast of being aware, but is there a way that we can maybe train ourselves to move towards that immediate response to be prayer just as we're going about our day. Yeah, I think first and foremost, this would be called the disciplines of the faith. And so we see the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, which means that prayer is not natural. It is something we must learn, and it also must be a process. And so when we look back through church history, we see these beautiful traditions that give us these spiritual disciplines. And so whether there be set hours of prayer in the day, um, you know, three times a day in the morning or in the evening, maybe one in the afternoon, I think the key to prayer is having a plan. Just because what Jesus said is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so just as you said, we have to learn this behavior. And I I think we learn it through discipline. I mean, the etymology of the word disciple means discipline. And so I think a way that we can get prayer to move from a last resort to a first response is to have a plan and to have that discipline. And in the show notes on the podcast, there's going to be two resources for you that could help you with that. The first one is a book by Pastor Tim Keller called Prayer. And it's, I mean, it's, incredible. It, yeah. it takes the theology of it. And then the second half of the book is the practicality of it. Yeah. And he looks at a whole stream um, of the Christian faith, different streams, and just pulls from different resources. Yeah. That book is incredible. A second one is Andrew Murray with Christ in the School of Prayer. Yeah. And that one will just light a fire in you. Yeah. The quotes and everything in there will just make your heart burn for a desire yeah, to do that. You gave me a resource, real small book, very digestible, a while back called Praying the Bible. Yeah. Um, really, if you want to throw that one in the notes too, Absolutely. That we can offer that for you guys. It's essentially the same thing. It's when you don't know what to pray, pray the scriptures. Yep. And kind of gives you an outline of how you can turn lines of scripture into a personal prayer. Yep. Um, so pray immediately. The second thing that we see uh, is to pray corporately. Pray corporately. In verse 24 of Acts chapter 4, it says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together yep. <laughs> to God. And said, I love it, man. Like it's the act of corporate intercession, corporate prayer, or corporate anything really is so near and dear to my heart. Yeah, man. It's such a big like we get we get we get asked frequently, like, why do you do blank on a Sunday morning? Sure. Well, you talked about this on Sunday, but people ask us, why do you read this? Why do you read scriptures aloud together? Yeah. Why do we pray aloud together? I love getting asked that because ultimately there's something that happens in the body of the church when we do things together. hundred percent. Ecclesiology is the twelve dollar yeah. word for it. The things that we are commanded to do when we gather can't be obeyed individually because they involve interaction with one another. Colossians 3 is an example. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
There's the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another, one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then it goes on to say, giving thanks to God and everything you do in word or in deed, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything in that passage is a command to do something together, yep. to read God's word together, to teach and admonish or to encourage or correct one another, to sing psalms and hymns and songs together with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I like... If you were the only person alive on this planet, who are you going to be thankful to? Right. <laughs> like, sure. Even the act of thankfulness is something that needs to be done corporately. The sacraments are corporate practices as yep. well. Baptism serves in a, in a communal aspect, and then we all come to the table together. And then we see it in prayer. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. You broke down for us a couple of other ways that we see corporate prayer practiced and commanded in Scripture. What are some of those other ways that you broke down for us that we see elsewhere in Scripture? Yeah, just going back to you said, I think apart from taking communion every Sunday, this is the second to most frequently asked question for somebody that attends our gathering is, why do we read these prayers together? And why do we do these things together? And so I just thought, let's put together sort of a systematic view and just an overwhelming evidence from the scriptures as to why we do that. And it really gets at the heart of what is the goal of the gathering? Is it, is it observation? Right. Is it to sit and hear leaders pray, hear the worship team sing, everybody on stage does stuff. Or when Jesus says on the night of the last supper, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. And the term remembrance literally means to participate. Yeah. It means to remember like a tower of Legos to yeah. disassemble and then reassemble. And beginning in Genesis 4.26, it says, and at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Mm. So we're not even four chapters into the Bible. Yeah. And we see corporately that people are calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible ends in Revelation 19, John says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Dude, all heaven is, is a giant corporate worship service where everybody is saying these together. And then we said, let's just really get down to the nitty gritty. When Jesus teaches us how to pray and gives us a template, what's the first word? Yeah. Our... Our Father. Yeah. I mean, so there's this corporate aspect. The entire book of Psalms, the church's hymn book, is corporate prayers. And then just through study, I ran across Romans 15, 6, and it says that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. At the end of the day, the gathering is about participation, not observation. Yeah. And when we gather, it is the prayers of the people. Yeah. We're not listening to people pray. We are participating in prayer. Yeah. That's what's so fundamentally important. And plus, guys, it just says it right there in the verse. <laughs> I mean, it just says that the early church prayed corporately together. Right. So yeah. yeah, man. And there's something so special about hearing everyone's voices in the chapel on a Sunday morning rise up in prayer together for the same cause. Yep. Whether it's for everyone in the room to depend upon God, for people to look around and be grateful to see the beauty and splendor of God's people in the chapel, something really special happens. And I'm so thankful that we carve time out 
in our services to allow people to participate. Absolutely. And not just observe. So we've got pray immediately, pray corporately, and then pray theologically. Theologically. In verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Daddy God. <laughs> just sovereign Lord. Papa who made Bear. That. Papa, be- yeah, Papa Daddy, right. Daddy God. Yeah. So have you ever heard somebody actually pray Daddy God? I've not. I've I don't heard, think I've ever heard that. I've before. heard somebody pray Papa. Yeah, I've heard know, that before. Do that, yes, but. but they say, I've, I heard a guy when I, uh, when I was growing up in youth group, he would just say, uh, hey, Dad. Yeah. Or hey, God. Sure. Um, but that's not what we see here. We see sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Yep. That is how they are addressing God in prayer together, not individually, together. And one thing I know, that's scripture. Like that's a yep. that's a psalm as well. But yep. why why does drawing from the Psalms or from the Bible, praying to God and addressing him in a theological way, why does that matter? Yeah. I think it's important to note that yes, our relationship is based on grace through faith. Yeah. But even when Jesus teaches us to pray and when we see how Jesus prays, there's an element of reverence and awe for who you're praying to. And I think that language creates culture. And so as you're speaking to God, the language is very appropriate that you should say to him. And the illustration on Sunday was just sort of tongue in cheek, but it was like, hey, listen, if I let a lion loose in this room, (laughs) right? and we need to wrangle that lion, are you going to approach that lion going, here, kitty, 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 (laughs) here, kitty, you know, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. But (laughs) no, because the the king of the jungle, this beat, you know, how much more so for the sovereign God of the universe? Yeah. And I think when you look at the prayers in the Bible, uh, they are robustly theo- uh, theological. And we said the word theology just means the study of God. Right. And so if my kids speak to me, I mean, there's, I mean, we're in that season of life of, hey, you can't talk to mom that way. You can't talk to dad that way. You can't right. be disrespectful yeah. because there's an element of respect in this relationship. And man, what I see the early church doing is they are lifting their voices and they are praying big prayers to a big God. Yeah. That's really good, man. Pray theologically, and then we see this, pray biblically, praying biblically. And verse 25 says, Who through the mouth of our father David, so they're quoting the Psalms again, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, whom we know now to be as Jesus. Why shouldn't the... Con- well, talk about praying biblically, and why it matters. But then I have a question that's kind of the inverse of that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think number one, I'm a fan of free prayer. I understand yeah. that. I think that's great. Yeah. But if we understand prayer in, in its most basic form, we said that it's not natural. Right. We have to learn how to do that. Yeah. And so the example that I always give is, is when our kids are learning how to talk, um, there's always that season where they don't want to talk and they just point and grunt or something. Right. And inevitably you'll hear a parent say, uh-uh, use your words. Yeah, God has given us his word and in his word, he has given us words that we can use to him in prayer. 
these words are like a diving board that springs us into the pool of prayer. Because yeah. I don't know about you, man, but sometimes when I approach God in prayer, I've got so much going on or my heart's so heavy, yeah. or let's say you're just struck by grief or you're overly anxious and worried. You have to ground yourself and yeah. center yourself. Yeah. And so praying God's word back to him is a very biblical thing that we see. Yeah, no, that's really good. The question that I was going to ask is why... So we... In the idea of free prayer, the idea of the content of our prayers, why shouldn't the content of our prayers come solely from what we think or what we feel, whether it's about God or whether it is about a situation? Why shouldn't the content of our prayers just come solely from what we think or we feel? Yeah. So we say that our feelings are a good gauge, but they're a poor guide. Yeah. And so let's say you're in a season of of just immense suffering. Yeah. And there's death and there's heartache and you've lost a loved one. Man, sometimes you're so heartbroken, you don't even know what to say. Yeah. And then free prayer almost becomes an added burden that you're supposed to drum up this stuff to say. Yeah. But in all reality, God has given you things to be able to say. Yeah. And so it's a freedom that brings to a level of the relationship. Yeah. Because, I mean, quite honestly, you can't trust your feelings, right. you know, I mean, they're, they sway in the wind. And then let's think that you're trying to pray for hope. Well, hope, I mean, by its very definition is futuristic. Yeah. And so if you are in a season where you are down and you're in this free prayer and you need hope, hope is, a, is like a rope getting tossed to you from, from some other side and yeah. somewhere else. And you grab onto that rope and pull yourself out of the pit. Yeah. The word of God is that rope in a season of prayer and suffering and depression that can get you out of that season. Yeah. If you're just left to yourself, if you just bend over that hole and tell someone, try harder, <laughs> just free prayer, you know, or something like that, <laughs> right. man, that's, that's bad news. That's not yeah. good news at yeah. all. Well, what good news that we have the scriptures, that we have a God who would love us enough that give us every good and perfect gift, even the resources we need to pray when we don't know what to pray. Amen. Or even when we think we know what to pray. So we pray immediately, corporately, theologically, biblically, and then here we go. Pray radically is yeah. number five. In verse 29, he says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. And here's, here's the whole crux, the whole argument, the whole thing they're, they're fighting against through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, what they were commanded not to do. They're doing right now in boldness and they're praying for it radically. What are the implications of this in the Christian life today? Because we may not see persecution in the level or degree that we do right now in, in Acts chapter four, but how does that translate to us? And then we're going to talk about something that we launched this morning. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is crazy. This, I mean, this is this is the part of the passage that I'm just like, okay, this is very challenging because they didn't pray for safety. Right. They didn't pray for comfort. If we want to get real technical, they didn't even pray for peace. Yeah. They prayed for perseverance power and boldness. And to me, that is so challenging because, I mean, the moment that I meet opposition in my life, 
I mean, my contentment and everything is just sucked right out of me, you know? Yeah. And what I see them do, and, and this was sort of the application question is, what if we stopped asking God to, quote, take it from us and started asking God to, quote, take yeah. us through it? Yeah. I think, I think there are things and the relationship can only be deepened with Jesus as we grab his hand and walk through this season of life. Yeah. We as human beings, just by our very default, want to take the path of least resistance. Yeah. But God in his very nature wants to form us and mold us into his son. Yeah. And if we look at Jesus's life, it involved a crucifixion. Yeah. And so I think this level of prayer to be so bold and so radical yeah. that God, in instead of peace or instead of this, what about power? Yeah. What about perseverance right. and those types of things? Yeah. What seems radical to me when I look at these two verses, verse 29 and 30, is that there's only one line. It's like six words that are given to any attention to the the council and to yeah. the people that are condemning them. He says, look upon their threats. That's it. Yep. It's like five words. Yep. And then the rest is, and grant your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness while you stretch out your, like the focus is completely, there. there's an acknowledgement of the threat that's going on, but it's almost as though the rest of the prayer in itself acknowledges a trust in the Holy Spirit and God to carry out the the spreading of the gospel. And I think the application to that is the reason why they sp spend so little time on their situation is because they spend so much time describing the sovereignty of God. Yeah. And so because they know who God is and what he is capable to do, they're not focused on the situation. Yeah. They're focused on the God who controls the situation. Yeah. And that's fundamentally different approach. That's good, man. That's good. Well, we said this, the, what we're seeing here in the, in the midst of these verses is, is a word called revival. Yeah. Can you, I'm not from the Midwest or the South. I was, born, yeah. I was born in Memphis, grew up in a big city in Dallas-Fort Worth and moved to Northern Colorado. I've heard the word revival, but talk about that word for a minute and what that means. Yeah, man. So revival, and, and we primarily see that in verses 32 through 37, where they've got their possessions and they're selling them and they're laying them down and all of this stuff. And the word revival is literally to revive. So you've got somebody laid out on a gurney, Beep, goes yeah. flat, clear, bring it back. Yeah. Um, that word used theologically and in the biblical sense is the same thing. Yeah. So oftentimes uh, the prophet in the Old Testament would be sort of the revival speaker. And yeah. he would roll up into town, Jeremiah or somebody dressed real funny. And basically <laughs> he speaks the word of the Lord and says, what are you guys doing over here? You've strayed so far away. You've married other nations wide. Oh my gosh, look at all this idolatry. And then the people just weep and they go, what are we doing over here? We don't want to be over it. We want to be yeah. where God's at. And so then because of this crisis moment, it's sort of a reviving the relationship back to God. But yeah. as I was studying the passage, I think years prior, I mean, I could have preached entire series out of verses 32 and 37. Yeah. And I realized verses 32 and 37, which is just this beautiful hallmark picture of the church. It literally says great grace. That's yeah. mega grace. Yeah. Mega grace was on them is a byproduct of something. Yeah. We don't strive for this. This is what happens when we strive after something else. Yeah. And what I see all through the scriptures is, is when you focus on prayer, revival is a byproduct. Or we yeah. said it this way, prayer precedes revival. Yeah. 
So rather than pursuing, do we have these programs? Do we have this? Or, you know, are you selling your possessions? You know, all of this. What if it's just crying out to God to make us holy and pure and bold and yeah. powerful and persistent? And then the byproduct of that takes yeah, place. That's incredible. Well, we this passage and specifically this point, praying radically, really launched us to do something on the radical side that we've never done at Westside before. Yep. Why don't you talk about the week of bold prayer, how this morning and this afternoon went, yep. and what that what that looks like through the rest of the week and how people can participate and be involved in that. Yeah, so I knew going through Acts, this was sort of in the back of my mind, and then just the way that it unfolded was really in God's sovereignty from our leadership weekend to the fall festival to vision casting to all types of stuff. But we have launched what you just said called a week of bold prayer. And Monday through Saturday, we are having prayer three times a day there at the church from 6 to 7 a.m., from noon to 1 p.m. And then on the nights, like uh, on Monday night, the night that we're recording this, Westside Women will meet. On Wednesday night, Westside Men will meet. But on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, there's evening prayer from 8 to 9 as well. And so um, the reason why we are doing this is because we see this in the scriptures that we want to be a people of prayer. So each day there's a topic like, I mean, I just am enamored by prayer uh, this morning and this afternoon we prayed for boldness. On the day that you're listening to this on Wednesday, generosity is uh, the theme for that. We're praying for God for an opportunity to be generous. We're also confessing our greed. But what we're doing is we're coming together as God's people and we're crying out to him and we are really trying to live as an authentic life as we can. And I'll never forget what Leonard Ravenhill said. Um, He was just this English from the slums English evangelist who was just a modern day prophet and he would look at all of these mega churches and everybody judging Sunday. You know, they would say, what's your church? And a preacher would say, you know, the Easter attendance or something like that. And he yeah. had such a disdain for that. And he said, the pulse of a church isn't measured on a Sunday morning when all the programs are running. Mm. The pulse of a church is the prayer meeting. Mm. And so he said, instead of saying how large your church is due to a Sunday morning attendance, the real size of your church is who comes to a prayer meeting Yeah, because there's that authenticity there. There's that relationship there. But one of the themes that we're praying every single day is we're praying for one person who doesn't know Jesus, that they would come to know and love him. That every person that comes in that room, we've got prayer prompts. We sing a song. We say the Lord's Prayer together. We spend about 30, 40 minutes in prayer. We come back together, sing a song, say the Lord's (laughs) Prayer. But every day we are asking God to add people to Westside through the proclamation of his gospel and the saving faith of Jesus Christ. That's so good, man. The total amount of time this week that will be devoted to prayer in the chapel is 14 hours of prayer. I love it. By the time you're hearing this podcast, there will be eight to nine hours of remaining prayer for the rest of the week. We wanted to provide a space and an opportunity, regardless of what your schedule may look like, to give you a chance to come to at least one of these. Yes. To come and participate, to join, to lift your voices together, and to pray with us as a church for boldness, for unity, for generosity, for thankfulness, for gratitude, all of that stuff. We want to create a space for you guys, so please, maybe shift your week around a little bit. If you need to do something different in the morning or for lunch or in the evening, 
make it a point to come out and pray with us this week. We would love for you guys to engage in Absolutely. the week of prayer with us. It was a great time this morning, man. Yeah, man. It's really, it's, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. It really is. It's one of those things where you're like, Oh man, but once you do that, you're just like, well, of course. Yeah. Of course. You yeah. know. So. so great. So great. Well, thank you guys for listening to the rest of the sermon. We're cutting a little short here today. I'm gonna close out in Jeremiah 33. Listen awesome. to these words, and then we will let you guys roll. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord, who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. He says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Guys, we serve a God who is alive and who hears us when we call to him and shows us great things. Don't forget that. Come to the week of bold bold prayer this week. If you're listening to this, uh, it's Wednesday. There's a prayer service this morning from 6 to 7 a.m. at noon to 1 p.m. and then Westside Men tonight and then Thursday and Friday we have the 6, noon, and 8 p.m. slots that are an hour long. Join us for a week of bold prayer. We love you guys. Blessings and may everything we do and say be all about Jesus. Peace. Adios. Thank you.